Hi guys, welcome back to the original Judo podcast. I'm James Austin and the podcast is taking a bit of a different turn today. Today we are interviewing, well I've just selected a random stranger on the street and I've picked them and I'm going to talk about Judo, see what they know about Judo. Um, Hello young man, what's your name? (laughs) My name's Ben Quilter. (laughs) <laughs> hello ben and uh have, have you done any judo before ben bits and bobs bits and bobs uh yeah can't get can't get it out of my life but yeah i've done a little bit i can't believe i've started the podcast like this the starts are <laughs> normally shite but this is a particularly bad one we're joined today by his paralympic bronze medalist his former world and european champion ben quilter um ben it is amazing to have you on the show Thanks, mate. Amazing to be here. He spends his working hours trying to get me to do more work. Um, (laughs) Any work, you mean? (laughs) Yeah. Do you want to give us a bit of a rundown? It's been a little bit of time since you were competing. You know, people may not have a clue who you are. Do you want to tell us about, yeah, your background in judo and um, what you're doing now? Yeah, cool. Yeah, so I, um, like most kids that have had a go at judo at some point in their in their career uh, in their life should I say started at at the tender age of seven uh, when I was living down in sunny Brighton Um, yeah little did I know that that was going to be the start of uh, of a lifetime of the of the of the thing but uh, yeah and I started judo at seven uh, at that point so for those who don't know me yet I I uh, yeah Paralympic uh, medalist so it was sight loss that I've got so I'm I'm now registered blind but I could see normally until about the age of 12 or 13. So uh, when I started judo at seven, I could see normally. Um, I was I was all right, not too bad at judo. I liked it, quite enjoyed it. Um, it was a good laugh. <clears throat> and um, yeah, and it, it, to be honest, it sounds a bit corny and a bit cheesy, but judo was sort of the one thing that stayed pretty stable throughout my life whilst I went through this kind of major life change of, of developing sight loss uh, and slowly kind of coming to terms with that and 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 uh, and having yeah a degenerative sight condition at a pretty sort of significant time or age in life. So about 12 years old, I was diagnosed with uh, with this sight condition, uh, and ever since that day, my sight has sort of slowly deteriorated <clears throat> to the point where it stabilised, um, but then to seem to have got worse again sort of recently. So. Uh, yeah, it's one of those kind of ever-changing things, um, and and yeah, like I say, judo kind of had always done it. I'd done it when I could see, uh, and then carried on when I couldn't see. Um, found out about uh, I was at a random competition in Crystal Palace where there was a blind guy called Simon Jackson running the session, and I was like, hang on a minute, could I not do this? So um, yeah, that was how I got involved in vision impaired judo at about 16, 16, 17, um, having competed at sort of uh, area and regional level <clears throat> and national level as a junior in able-bodied judo um and then from there yeah just started doing it more, more and more got more and more serious uh, uh from 18 was was funded and and full-time paralympic judo fighter uh where i kind of was in the northeast for a couple of years competed winning sort of medals at european level kept losing in the semi-final of a world uh, world championship level for a good sort of five years um so that training full-time at Dartford in 2007 before going to Beijing um and then between Beijing and London it all went it all went pretty pretty smoothly um and kind of won everything up until London where I stopped winning and just got bronze but yeah <laughs> won, won the world's twice Europeans 
couple of our European medals and then yeah, Paralympic bronze in London. Which was yeah, start, it's, a, right? it's a pretty amazing, pretty amazing career. Um, and hopefully we'll cover some of that today, uh, yeah. although not too much because you talk about yourself so often at work. I've heard all yeah. these stories before, so we're going to try and find some of the original ones. <laughs> that's only my competitive career as well that's not to mention any coaching or board member stuff that I do so yeah <laughs> lots of strings in my bow. <laughs> um so you say you kind of discovered like the VI side judo um at 16 mm-hmm. through Simon Jackson who again legend of the sport multiple Paralympic champion mm-hmm. um does that change how you approach what you're doing what Discovering it through him. Well, yeah, I think so. Like we kind of hit it off straight away. We we got on as like as as great friends. He was a bit of a bit of a mentor to me for many years, really. Whilst I kind of grew up um, doing doing the sport. So yeah, we shared a room, and I kind of saw how he approached competitions and stuff. Like I think whilst I was still learning my my trade um to a degree it was um I kind of watched him and and admired him and and envied him and tried to emulate and copy what he was doing but didn't work for me like he needed to get pumped up and in the zone and and really uh, like energized and I was the opposite like I was already overly anxious and and nervous about competing so I was the I had to sort of bring myself down so it took me a couple of years of trying to copy and, and following his footsteps before I realized that wasn't well, that wasn't the approach for me but yeah it was great to have someone so so successful and and kind of significant in that in the in the sort of world of Paralympic judo uh, around at the same time at the same time as me and especially at a young influential age so yeah no definitely definitely great to have those types of role models. Does it kind of open your eyes at 16 to go oh actually I, I could be a Paralympian or was was that something again like I know you at the you know through your career at the end of your career you, you're an athletic guy is that something that you're thinking about at that stage anyway? Uh, do you know what? I never really, uh, I, I guess, losing my sight. Like people, some people that like, have dreams and aspirations of of kind of being a Paralympic or world champion or this or Olympic champion or world champion. Never really had that because I never really. I probably had so much other stuff going on in my life in in terms of losing my sight and stuff. But um, I think yeah, just just to be in and around that environment and then realise it's possible and and actually like beyond the trajectory that I was on given the fact that I had a really good grounding of judo as an able-bodied fighter prior to sort of losing my sight that it kind of made it it made it that transition quite a lot easier um but yeah I don't know it was it it, it was much more competitive like VI and power judo was much more competitive than um than I probably expected um and then yeah obviously you know having kind of done a lot of camps and 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 sort of um training camps and training partner stuff with us uh yeah it took me a little while to get up to speed and in a position where I was starting to win matches well in fact yeah 16 years old I I didn't start winning until like mid-20s really mid to late 20s um so mid to late 20s you find yourself on route to Beijing Paralympics um you're part of a team that again features legends like Ian Rose, Darren Harris, um, and again these guys have featured as part of the VI squad uh, for a long, long time. What's it like being um, around some of those big names? Like Rosie in particular, like has won multiple medals like at that level. Yeah. yeah. What's it like being part of that team, that squad? 
Yeah, it was it was it was awesome to be fair. Um, I think the GB squad in years gone by, GB Paris squad in years gone by, was kind of was the team. It, you know, it was it was the standout team on the on the world circuit. You know, we had those established names plus like many others, and and then there were there were young there were young people coming through like myself. Um, I'm not going to say Darren Harris was young, but he was kind of relatively new. But he was, uh, yeah, he was kind of. We were finding new talent all the time, and we were kind of constantly emerging. So just to be around that type of squad was was awesome. And I think we were one of the first countries to have a, like a fully integrated um, Olympic and Paralympic program. So <clears throat> whilst I was on the squad with those guys and doing trips with them, actually my daily training was was more with the likes of you know Colin Oates and Ashley McKenzie and Nathan Burns and um, uh, J.R. Badrick so I spent a lot of time in and around the environment training full-time in Dartford and with some other sort of um, you know all, like really good national and domestic fighters um, so yeah like I had the best of both of us I had the, the domestic training environment with some world-class able-bodied fighters and then we'd go away on international trips with with like like you say legends of Paralympic judo so yeah it was it was really good really like really quite inspiring and taught me a lot about like the end of my career when I was I was you know hopefully that person to the likes of Jack and Skelly and those guys that are coming through now so yeah hopefully I followed suit and did, did as good a job as, as Simon and Ian and all the rest of them. I'm sure you do you're uh, you're an inspirational figure certainly in the University of Wolverhampton judo club you inspire me. You keep Good. me going. Good. Um, talking like sticking with Beijing. That's a that's a first Paralympics. Yeah. Um, you <clears throat> ends up. I, I kind of want to focus a little bit today on London. Like, mm-hmm. were you aware of how big um, the Paralympics was going to be? Like, when you're going into it, are you aware of the scale of the event, or does that kind of come of a, as a surprise? Beijing or London? Beijing. Or, Beijing or both. So I think uh, there, was Beijing, a, there was a big yeah. change between Beijing and London. I think <laughs> Beijing was yeah. big, but I think London was like this kind of seismic shift. You know, yeah. for, certainly my perception of it. Yeah, you're right. No, it definitely was. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. So Beijing was uh, was was kind of my first games as a as a like fighting in it, being there. Uh, I did Athens as a training partner, but I never actually went into the village or anything. So I was out there for the holding camp and whatever. Um, so I got to experience it a little bit, um, but. Yeah, I never went to the game. So Beijing was, yeah, it was, de- it was, it was really cool to be fair. Like just being in the village and and having a bit of, you know, exploring and and, and just soaking it all up. I think my biggest memory of the games itself was just busloads of of school kids and and uh, and just young people just being sort of delivered to the to the venue and the venue going from pretty empty. I remember there, I was there with. Um, uh, Graham Chinder or Flad, uh, as many people know him, as, who's my my training partner at the time, <clears throat> just walking out into the into the arena and it was kind of half empty, and then just literally stood there having a chat, taking some sort of selfies and and watching the whole place fill up and it was it was insane. Um, and then actually my first fight was against a Chinese guy, so um, the atmosphere was incredible. Uh, I, I, I might have even been first fight on, I think. So it was. Yeah, it was intense. It was a much bigger occasion than I was expecting. I think as well, every judo at the, at the games is all, almost always the first sport. So I fought in, on day one. Um, so yeah, to to be there on day one, weighing in and fighting, kind of doesn't give you too much time to think about it, which is good. Um, 
but you're going in cold a little bit. So it was just a case of stepping on the mat in front of this huge crowd um, in China against a Chinese guy who beat me actually, and um, which wasn't wasn't on on a shido. Uh, so it was, yeah, it was intense. It was it was mad. It was the atmosphere was was incredible. Um, and then yeah, and I didn't I didn't do the opening ceremony. I've never done an opening ceremony actually because I've always fought on day one, but. Um, actually just being there and yeah and, and feeling the the noise and and the the intensity of, of it all was 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 amazing does it um kind of gear you up for the next cycle you obviously have a, a pretty good paralympics but not a great one you end uh, with fifth place like which is the harshest position mm. like knowing that the next one is in london um are you set at that stage or do you consider retiring? Like a Paralympic cycle, Olympic cycle is such a long time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You've had to clearly had to put yourself through this intense amount of training. Um, I don't know, like uh, stepping away from the rest of your career, the rest of your life a little bit. Do you mm-hmm. know at that stage you want to go for the next cycle? Um, <clears throat> kind of yeah Beijing I did I came away from Beijing sort of mid-20s knowing that I still had loads to work on and develop and get better at so finishing fifth and seeing the margin of improvement or the you know the, the improvement I was able to to then go to was was actually quite um, exciting I suppose and after Athens I didn't qualify so I, I probably better answering that question after Athens after not qualifying for Athens having felt like I'd done enough to qualify a slot a spot um I spoke with Ravo my coach at the time Steve Ravenscroft who, who sort of said to me well you know you know I either need to work hard or you know, try hard or give up and um it was it, it was that say, conversation then followed by a second one yeah try hard or give up that was his words to me yeah I rang him like devastated having not get not gotten picked and he just said, well, try hard or give up. So, so, that so I decided, <laughs> so I decided to try harder. Um, and, I, and and he had like he followed it up with a lot of like you know it was it was left with um, the decision was made by a panel, uh, and the only way to avoid that happening again is to put it beyond all reasonable doubt and make sure that you are qualifying your position, you know, your spot by right and you are you've done everything that you need to do and you and you're training and doing all the things you need to do so he was amazing at for me at that time and we set a load of goals which was first one was to qualify for Beijing next one was to finish in the top five next one was to be in a, you know to be good enough come come London to be in the final um so yeah we set a series of goals so London was always my end goal and and everything kind of slotted into place on the way there um I've just started training properly full-time about a year or so before Beijing and then fortunately which I chose Dartford as my kind of full-time training venue and unfortunately for me Beijing after Beijing it, it British Studio kind of took over the full-time training uh, set up at Dartford and that became kind of my my base um, for the bulk of my preparation so yeah that was kind of where I ended up uh, staying and uh, and it worked worked perfectly for me and it was yeah it's an awesome few years leading into London. So that kind of London experience um again were you aware of like the the size of the event coming into it like my experience of London was it was just insane but I've got nothing to compare it to like if you were out at Athens you were competing in Beijing Mm. again was the scale of the event in the months years running up to the event something that you were ready for or did that surprise you as well um 
Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I'd given it too much thought, if I'm honest. Um, uh, yeah, you're kind of oblivious in your own little world, aren't you? I think it was massive to me because I knew having had the sort of two, having had the three year running that I had to the games with the ups and downs of a few injuries. I'm not sure if I mentioned to you before, but I, I had a, quite a significant knee injury pre, pre-London. You uh, had a knee injury? <laughs> I'll tell you all about it, mate. Um, <laughs> but yeah, kind of with, the, with, the, with the running that I'd had, I kind of, I don't think I lost one match after Beijing. I went, to, I lost a final at the Europeans in um, 2009. So I was on fantastic form. I was training harder than ever before. I was in, I was in a great place. So I think leading into it, I was starting to feel the pressure a bit of actually this could happen for me. You know, I could, I could win the Paralympic Games. I could sort of, you know, tick that box that I'd set out to to achieve all those years ago. So it was, it was looking fantastic and because i was world champion twice and we'd had the worlds in the uk uh no we didn't we had the europeans in the uk um in 2011 so it was starting the hype was starting to build then um so probably didn't actually stop to think of how big the games experience was going to be in london um but i was getting a lot of attention from like the bpa and uh, and all the media outlets and sources that that as the games got closer so that was cool like doing the channel four video diaries and stuff as as kind of one to watch um but yeah it was kind of hard to just try and stay grounded and just keep training and and trying to ignore all the all the razzmatazz surrounding it but yeah it was epic to be fair but no i probably wasn't aware of quite how significant it was going to be as a as an event and you've you've yeah you've kind of alluded to how it wasn't certainly the last yeah wasn't the smooth running you would have hoped for like you you win uh, a, a european championship two world championships in that yeah, yeah three-year period yeah. yeah um and then well i think we're getting to the story that you've, you've basically been asking me for weeks and weeks can i come on the podcast can i tell them about my knee mm. and i've always said ben no come on no one wants <laughs> to hear that no one cares but this is this is your one chance so make the make this telling good Right. Uh, so you, you you reached this point. You've won the world championships 2011. Yeah. Um, that must give you this surge of confidence. Yeah, a year ahead. Yeah, you've already talked about going. Actually, I could do this. But having won the worlds, being uh, out and out world number one. Where's your head at? And then, um, yeah, what happens next? Uh, I was I was absolutely flying to be honest. I was I was in in a great place. Uh, I was in a great place on the mat, off the mat. I was competing well, fit, strong, happy, healthy. And then yeah, uh, I had a back in, a back injury actually. Might not have told you about this one. This probably wouldn't make the Netflix documentary. Um, but I had uh, a back injury which was pretty um, nondescript. Uh, just picking up a bar in a gym and split a disc in my back, and that put me out for a good a good three, three to three months, maybe a bit longer, um, quite intense. And then like, it was, it was when I got back on the mat after, after injuring my back, that it was a few months later that I injured my knee. Now, I don't think there was a connection between the two because the knee injury was a pretty freak incident. But yeah, that was about, it was about five and a half weeks, I think, before actually the day I fought in London. Uh, and we're just doing test fights. Uh, and I remember it pretty clearly, to be fair. Um, oh, partly because... mate, let me stop you there. I'm sorry, we've run out of time. <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry, buddy. I feel this is getting, you're getting going. Then. Carry on, carry on. Mate, this is my hero story. You love it. You know you love it. And at the end, I'd like you to share your anti-doping story, if you don't, if you don't mind. 
he will save that for another episode, a different episode. episode. This is uh, <laughs> it tells his story at least once a week. Yeah, only to anyone who will listen and anyone who won't listen. Uh, yeah, so um, I remember it pretty clearly in terms of it was just yeah, training matches and uh, Dave Sanders was filming it. He was a team manager at the time. I remember he just walked out onto the side of the map um, and with his iPad in his hand started filming, uh, which is how I've actually managed to get the footage. Uh, but we were just doing a test match and uh, it's fine. Lad, uh, it was getting a bit, it, it was just it was a good fight to be fair. And um, I sort of twitched and went to go forward. He at the same time sort of went to Sumigash me and sat on my leg and it folded in. Long story short. And um, yeah, I ruptured my ACL and MCL, um, which is pretty, pretty significant at the time. I remember sat there, the doc was, British Judo doc was in, came over and did a couple of assessments. A bit of a bit of a giveaway when he looks to the ceiling and, and mouths a word that I probably won't say on the podcast. But uh, I said that my, to which my response was, it's not good, is it, Doc? Uh, and he said, there's definitely more movement in that than I'd like. Um, so, yeah, it, was, it wasn't ideal prep with, with five and a half weeks to go to the, the biggest event of my life with, with the world, world watching and expecting me to win. But um, had a scan that afternoon. So we went into London, had it scanned that afternoon, came home. Um, and then it wasn't until the next day that the doctor called uh at like i remember it being super early like eight in the morning he'd had the results from the scan i remember just sitting in bed just sobbing sobbing like a baby and uh yeah i don't know why i was just i felt like that was the point at which it was like that was it done um then we had a bit of a an, a sort of brunch meeting with everyone and it was decided that um i was gonna fight anyway i was at that kind of point in my career where there might i might not have another games uh, i was 31 I think uh, by the time I competed in London so as a lightweight I was getting on a bit I might not have another games in me and it you know there was no pain there was there was quite a significant um, m- like movement restriction and then all the risks associated with it but we came to a conclusion that we could tape it uh, pretty s- stiff pretty straight and we'll just have to crack on um, and it was actually quite cool I, I did all sorts of crazy upper body circuits and and um mad rehab stuff so the actual five or six weeks leading into the games whilst it was nerve-wracking probably took the pressure off me a little bit um because i knew that you know winning was no longer was probably no longer on the cards i kind of that's how i thought about it in my in my own mind um so i had to just go in and, and see what happened and, and and do my best so i didn't do any judo until like the week before um i just did loads of crazy stuff in the gym uh, so I was proper fit and and again like I say like the pressure was off me mentally in terms of going to win but I hadn't told anyone else that so every media interview and everything that I did I just stick my hide my crutches in a cupboard um, oh uh, and, then, and then just sit there and talk about how excited I was to go to the games and win um, so yeah it was it was pretty mad and then yeah no like no one knew I mean like there was no kind of uh, even I think I remember like Neil Adams messaging me the night before, just asking me a few questions, but, but like for when he was commentating, um, and it, we decided not to mention it to anyone just in case there was any sort of slip up in any sort of commentary. So yeah, best ke- best kept secret, and uh, yeah, taped it straight and, and managed to. Oh, I lost my first fight. Actually, I had there's two people I didn't want to fight. Hold, hold hold fire, slow down, slow down. Oh, we'll we'll get on. to we'll get to the Paralympics. I just want to um kind of comment this. This all happens five weeks before the games. You um you keep it a secret which is incredible like knowing the the competition you you, you get mm. to um 
I think it's amazing that this has been caught on camera and either you or I don't know if it was Channel 4 who did the video diary, put the video diary together. They've um, kind of fed it into one of the video diaries you do and yeah. you, it just brushes over it. Yeah. Um, there's literally a split second where it looks like your knee goes in, yeah. well, an uh, angle that is not designed for a knee. Yeah. And you've kept that and it's still there. Like, why do you keep it a secret? Why, why do you not share that? Oh no, sorry. It was kept secret prior to competition day. Yeah. So, why? Why uh, don't you? Why don't you tell people that? Why? Uh, what what goes I, into that decision? Oh right, okay. Because I, I, I think I was world number one. I was unbeaten for like three and a half years, and I think the expectation of anyone who drew me was, I was kind of clinging onto the psychological edge of people thinking that they might not be able to beat me. Um, I think with an injury or with a significant injury like that, there would have been, um everyone would have been absolutely gunning for me and then they, they also would have known that I was extremely vulnerable it was my lead legs it was my left knee so mm-hmm. there was loads I couldn't do so my whole game plan changed on the day um, and we had a, we had loads of discussions about what I was going to do differently and what I was going to change and how I was going to sort of counteract certain stuff um, so yeah I, I just think you people were you, know, you just would have attacked my my lead leg um yeah. without any shadow of a doubt whereas actually i think I, I think people would have had a more um they might have had a completely different game plan when fighting me if knowing i was injured or not knowing i was injured so yeah best to keep that that under my hat and uh and change it and i think actually well i spoke to the american afterwards and he was definitely off caught off guard with the fact that i just did com- completely different stuff to what i'd normally have done but he said to me by the time i'd realized there was something went right it was too late and i was like well sorry up so you've you've kind of alluded to uh what happened on the day already um is it usual for the first round of a paralympics for the world champion reigning world champion and reigning paralympic champion to come up against each other <laughs> come on that sounds like that's a draw from hell surely that that, that should be split or was he just not ranked no, so I had a bye in the first round. So that was actually the quarterfinal. So uh, because I was seeded number one, um, I don't know why I ended up having a bye, but I had a bye first round into the quarterfinal where he was. So he was he must have been seeded if I was first, he must have been third, I think. Um either that or he he wasn't he might may not have had a, a seed based on the year that he'd had. Um but yeah, no, I fought him in the quarterfinal. Oh no, yeah, he was. He was. He must have been seeded third, and uh, yeah, that's that would have been normal. We would have just met as as per usual. Um, so yeah, I was that, one. That's he, still a pretty he, insane first fight. Olympic yeah. champion, world champion. Yeah, it's not ideal. <laughs> it's not ideal. Um, and he's he's and, and he was left as well, that same as me. So there was, like I say, there's two people who wanted to avoid him and one other, and I got him first and second. <laughs> How do you? When when did you find out that draw? When did you when do you normally look at the draw for that competition? Uh, I would have found, yeah, I found it out the day before. Yeah, or was it two days? Day or two days before? Probably the day before. If the, if it was done two days before, I probably didn't want to know about it. So, and do you, do you remember your reaction to finding out that you've got one of the two guys in the whole field that you don't want to find? Or again, is it is that kind of faded with time? Um, I think well, it definitely has everything faded with time. You know that, but I uh, <laughs> I think fresh, I had fresh as the days here, mate. It's, it's... <laughs> I think I had um, decided that it didn't really matter, given the situation that I was in, it didn't really matter who I had because everything had been sort of turned on its head anyway. Um, so it was a bit frustrating knowing that he was left and the angle we were going to fight at meant that my knee would be pretty, it would be harder to 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 protect it. So 
that was my biggest concern. But to be honest, um, he was always going to be a tough fight, regardless of when I fought him. Um, so, yeah, it was just it was just unfortunate. Uh, my reaction, I, I probably just felt like it. You know, at, at that point in my career, I felt like I just had to fight every fight like it was my last and uh, and hope for the best. So it probably didn't really matter who it was. Just had to, yeah, just fight hard. So you, you do lose that first fight. Um, yeah. Again, like, how do you get yourself back into it? Knowing that you've got, uh, well, two more for that bronze medal. How do you, two more, three more for that bronze medal? Uh, two more, two more, uh, three more for the bronze. Yeah, so I, um, I don't know. It, again, it was like, it'd been a long morning to that point because I'd got a bye. So that all the other fights had gone on ahead of me. Um, and it's probably burning nervous energy like it's going out of fashion sat there with like my knee heavily taped up no one knowing um that that you know just trying to hide it all the time and and whatever but then ended up um having a discussion with japes on the way back around to the uh to the warm-up area about my knee and how it was and and we kind of had a heated discussion about like was it my knee was that the reason i lost i was like yeah but we always knew that was going to be the case so that's can't that wasn't the only reason i lost i lost because he was better than me on the day um it's a bit frustrating but then I managed, like, to be honest, mate, like, you know Trinder better than anyone. He He's the one person that you want in your corner or in your warm-up area. I remember getting back and just he just sits there next to you and, uh, yeah, asks all the right questions and, and so calm and relaxing and, and got me kind of in the right headspace to go again, um, along with, like, Japes and everyone else and the rest of the team was and, and Precky. Like, I think we had such a good team around us that it was hard not to be ready to go again. Um and that team had been so solid and consistent for for such a long time, um, so yeah, we it, it it felt like I just had to to regroup and go again. Um, my next fight again was somebody I'd never fought before. A guy from Mongolia had come down a weight at the last minute and managed to qualify. So hadn't fought him before, and he was big and strong, and again not ideal given my sort of injury situation. Um, and it was one of those fights that went on for a good couple of minutes, and I started, to, and there was no score, and I started to think, oh god, this is going to be, this is going to be intense. Um, and then, and and I, and I think the other thing that put me off quite a bit was was the crowd. Like, never, well, you know, having competed in London, I've never had a crowd so noisy in my life, especially at um, <laughs> like at Paralympic level. Like, you're usually rattling about in a sports hall with like 35 people watching and a cleaner. Um, so it was a case of just I couldn't see Japes because there was an extra. There was an extra sort of safety area, so it was too far, so I couldn't actually see him at all. I couldn't hear a word he was saying, so you felt quite lonely out there. Um, and trying to get ready to go again, um, yeah, I don't know, it's just a bit of a test of character, isn't it? Like, uh, and I was experienced and old enough to, at that point to just to just get stuck in, but it it went all right in the end. I ended up catching him um, uh, through an error of his, actually. I think he I think he was right on the edge. But again, the invite the atmosphere was 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 disorientating for all of us, and. Uh, um, yeah, he was right at the edge. He relaxed right, right at the end, thinking Matto was going to get called, and I took took the initiative and banged him over. So you beat the Mongolian, you yep. beat the American, and yep. you end up against Japan in yep. the bronze medal fight. Yeah. Um, what was it like walking out for that contest and oh. being announced? Yeah, that was that was mad. It was it was crazy. I mean, as a visually impaired person as well, like. It was it was a little bit it was a bit overwhelming all the lights and the, there was trip hazards everywhere like you had to walk up a ramp round a corner and I was thinking I'm going to trip over this and look a right prat but <laughs> fortunately I managed not to um, 
but yeah it was it was awesome but then things like there's little things in, in like with it being a home games that the people that are checking your kit are people you've grown up with on table officials and and area coaches and stuff and I think that's just pretty special you know like you're walking past people in in judogi control and different areas on your way out and everyone knows you and they know they've known you since you were a kid and I don't know that was that was that was pretty cool um the 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 person carrying my my box you know you pick flip-flops and, and drink and stuff in and they walk behind you at the time she was um my performance lifestyle advisor which is the job that I do now uh, at British Cycling so you know there were volunteers that you knew of that were volunteering because they were, had a vested interest in the sport so it it was like I don't know it felt like being it felt like being at home with all these all these people in and around you that you've known or familiar faces that that you know of or or, or work with or see on a daily basis so it was cool it was special walking out um the atmosphere was was like electric it was yeah absolutely incredible and knowing that I was fighting a Japanese guy to be I'd beaten him in a 2011 world final like two shidos to one and it was an absolute battle so I was fully expecting it to be another kind of tactical long drawn out like in, endurance based fight um fortunately he made a mistake and I had him down but um yeah it was it was awesome and again I want to ask like watching it back I did do a little bit of research for this I didn't just go oh god <laughs> um went away did a little bit of research watching the pin watching the countdown um like hearing the noise the volume go up as the clock ticks up Again, are you conscious when you've got him in the holds, like with the crowd responding, are you conscious that this is it, this is your Paralympic medal? Or again, are you just holding on for dear life to get yeah. the contest over? I was holding on for dear life. I think I had his eyes underhooked on his arm and that was the only thing stopping him from re-trapping re my leg. Um, it was the worst hold down I think I've ever done in my life. And I was just like... I was so intent intent on crushing his face with my shoulder and just holding his head as tight as I possibly could um, so that he, he had less opportunity to, to capture my leg. But yeah, it was one of them hold downs. I think an extra five seconds and he would have got out. And then I think if the fight started again, it could have gone a completely different way. Um, but yeah, he, he'd won all day in Niwaza and even the commentary team were talking about how strong he was in Niwaza and I needed to stay away from Niwaza but I was actually really comfortable on the ground anyway and that was kind of my approach for the day was get people on the deck and, and try and pin them um, and yeah I think he did a, a poor Tom and Aggie I just managed to skip around and just die I just dived on him and I think probably the adrenaline given the intensity of the moment and all the rest of it I, I, I think if it'd gone more than two minutes, I would have I would have struggled because uh, I was absolutely exhausted. But no, nah, I didn't. I, I probably didn't. I probably didn't realise. I, I remember just squeezing like mad, thinking, "Don't let go. Like, don't get out." Um, I don't even remember hearing the referee like call Mate or anything. It was yeah, and then it, it just the noise was incredible. But yeah, no, nah, amazing. Uh, actually, do you know what though? I was I kind of I was it. I was relieved people always ask about this moment I was relieved to have won a medal but I don't think I was happy I, I actually almost feel like almost instantly was like oh, at least I've got, at least I won a Paralympic medal because I actually thought at the beginning of that day I could end up my career here not having won a Paralympic medal um having kind of been so successful over the last three years and uh and the way it kind of gone but I was relieved um disappointed as well though there was bronze not gold and then the next few days, weeks, months, like, what's that like? 
as you as you move further away from the immediate aftermath that like initial relief mm. disappointment what's the next few weeks and months like yeah what what are the crazy opportunities you get what are the uh, yeah the, the 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 highs or and maybe the lows as well that you, you perhaps weren't expecting from that um i don't think the lows hit me for a good for a good few months because um because i was I, you know there were so many highs off the back of it with it being london um and also Paralympic sport, Paralympic judo in, uh, in particular, doesn't always come with a great deal of kind of coverage or publicity and stuff like that. So I got my I got my fair share, and we obviously had um, Sam as well, who went on to get silver. So me and Sam, um, plus the other lads, were all kind of busy doing loads of media stuff. But we had some awesome opportunities, loads of which I've kind of forgotten about. And then things will pop up on Facebook, or someone will mention something, and <laughs> yeah, that was that was proper, that was proper cool. Um, but yeah, no, life kind of. Um, life kind of went pretty quickly for me after that like we we got married and Francesca my wife was pregnant um sort of quite soon after so we had we kind of had kind of so much going on with you know married honeymoon then Reggie like our firstborn came along um but then it was quite hard after that to be fair it was I had a few low times after that where the whole hype of the games had been and gone um and then, yeah, it was kind of, I decided not to carry on or get into that point of making that decision. Well, do I carry on? Don't I carry on? And then, yeah, like that transition from from being an athlete. And I actually think the London, the whole London experience didn't help that because it was so artificially, so artificially kind of high and and, uh, and so much of the spotlight more so than than a games if it was in a different country uh which yeah, kind of made it yeah it made you kind of start i don't know get really in, involved in it and um that becomes you know, the norm doesn't it but it, it isn't the norm and, and and 12 months on it it's all kind of gone and forgotten about so um but yeah no the it was incredible like, i remember the, the the days after just getting whizzed about to over to like the channel four um studio and then to the bbc one bumped into Freddie Flintoff and Simon Jackson was doing some stuff for one of the media companies. So me, Simon Jackson, Freddie Flintoff just sat there having a beer like the, the after I'd finished competing. It was it was bonkers. Like, um, yeah. And just all those different cool experiences and bits and pieces that you get invited to and, and, and do was, yeah, it was incredible. Love that. And then do you know at that stage that it's time to finish? Like, do you know at that stage it's, you're going to retire? um that Rio's too far or again yeah. is that kind of in the back of your mind that you got bronze mm. you went for gold um, yeah. what what goes into that decision oh that's that's a big that's a whole other podcast that mate but um I think uh I think I got I needed to I, I wanted to carry on but I would have needed to change so much to have carried on I didn't I didn't want to carry on if that makes sense like I wanted to kind of when I wanted to go again but I think it, the reality was I would have been 34 34 going on 35 in the next games and I was starting to think that maybe a gold medal was, was going to be out of my reach and it sounds ridiculous but I didn't really want to do it all again and make all those sacrifices and uh with kind of having just got married and a baby I did and, and also I felt like my life was on hold and I thought I can't go on for too much longer with my life on hold um so yeah, loads went into that decision. Obviously, with the knee, have, or all right, it was reconstructed and it was fine. But it took me a long time to stop having kind of other silly little training bits and pieces going yeah. wrong. Like I just, both hamstrings kept cramping up and stuff like that. Um, 
so it, yeah, it was taking me a long time to get back to the point where I could start training properly again. And by that point, I was like, I'm not sure if I want it. I'm not sure I want it enough. Um, so I made the decision to to retire like 2013, I think it was start of 2013. Um, uh, no, it wasn't. It was I think it might be the end of 2013. Anyway, I, I kind of made the decision to call it a day and. Uh, yeah, no, it was, I don't know. It was tough. It was tough. But I was fortunate to go to Rio. I went with the BPA as um as a like Paralympic am, um, athlete ambassador. So they had like an inspiration program, and I was an athlete ambassador on that program. So I went out there, and I was actually I managed to get into the judo venue on the day of my competition, like sixty kilo day out in Rio. And I remember just going into the warm up area, standing on the mat, thinking, should I be here? Like, do I want to? Should I have been here with the kit on? <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, I stood there and actually thought to myself, nah, like, but I'm, I'm glad I'm not. So um, yeah, but yeah, you definitely had a moment where you looked yeah. at it and thought, you know what, I could have done this. I could, yeah, I could have yeah. won this today. Yeah, I, I definitely think I would have. I could have gone. I could have won a medal. Um, I, I still feel, yeah, feel. I Looking feel like, three like, years retired. Ah, I could have done this. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon. Uh, yeah, no, I, I would have and could have, but didn't really. It wasn't. I didn't have it in me. I didn't want to do it anymore. Um, and that's the hardest thing to to admit to yourself, isn't it? I'm not sure I want it as much as I as I once did. Definitely. Um, you looking back on your whole career, like what was your best day of judo? Whether it was the judo itself or whether it was the whole event, is it hard to look past London or do you look at a worlds or Europeans and go, do you know what? That was me at my best and that was me enjoying it the most. Yeah. I well, I think some of the best times were on camps. Like, like I just loved the, the the feeling of total exhaustion at the end of a camp, and then the banter that you had with the with the team and your mates and and whatever. You are. Um, they were some of the best times. I think my best day was winning the worlds in 2010. Um, because like I say, I'd never won a world medal. I kept sort of losing in the semis and losing for bronze. I must have done that three times, and um, I. Yeah, 2010 just had the, the day of my life, and and I beat everyone pretty convincingly on on route to the to to the gold. I, I beat. Uh, I remember beating a guy from Azerbaijan in the semi final. Um, like I threw him. I threw him for ten as well. I, I'd only. I'd never beaten him before. Then I beat him twice after that. Uh, but every fight was was like came down to the wire. Um, but in 2010 I threw him for ten, and then fought a guy from Iran in the final who I again. Um, I think I threw him for two was Aries. So yeah, the Worlds in 2010 was probably probably my best best day of judo. Where like, probably my best performance. Um, and yeah, that was that was yeah, just awesome awesome day, awesome celebrations after as well. <laughs> Love that. You've stepped away from your career, like, um, and again, I, you didn't step straight into a role in sport from that. But did no. you know you wanted to get back in performance sport? No, like that's that's where you work now. A little bit in judo, a yeah. little bit in, you know, uh, the EIS. Did you know you always wanted to come back to sport or was that a decision that came on you later? Uh, I needed a break. I knew that much. I think I needed a break from from performance sport. And I kind of felt as a little bit like there was so much out there that I didn't know too much about. So I kind of wanted to get out and experience something a bit different. Um, uh, so I stepped away. Yeah, I went into sports development. Um, I went specifically into disability sports development, which was which was really cool. I really enjoyed that. Um, uh, but it wasn't kind of scratching that itch, I think, of, of being in the high performance environment. Um, and for that sort of two years, two and a half years of, of working in that industry, 
and kind of go through that transition of 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 retiring from being an athlete i really really struggled and i felt really guilty for feeling quite so down at, at times of like why am i so why am i not happy like i just got married just had a baby like um i've got all of these uh, yeah i've retired from a, a fantastic judo career and and i've got a job like why am i not why am i not content um and yeah, and that was kind of when I made the the move back into performance sport and went into performance lifestyle, like helping athletes with with exactly that really, with that kind of whole identity piece and and life after sport um, and making sure that they're balancing and thinking about the the future. Because I was fortunate to have sort of coaches and parents and teammates around me that that were giving me sort of good solid advice around you know life after sport and other things that I could and couldn't be doing or shouldn't shouldn't be doing and it, i remember Raybo saying to me when I, I was like 17 i was like finished uh 16 16 going 17 um i was gonna sort of finish my gcc's and or finish my a levels and, and go full-time training and he was like nah whatever you do don't do that like do a part-time degree uh make it fit make it work and uh you'll be you'll be better for it which is what i did and it, yeah super grateful for that for that piece of advice at that time in my life um so yeah just getting back into that that high performance environment but more so uh, yeah performance lifestyle in an area that was quite sort of close to my heart at that time which was was awesome so I really enjoyed that part um and then more recently obviously getting back involved in 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 judo um which kind of stepped away from before I probably probably might not put a kit on ever again which is was sad but actually yeah, it's even more sad that I'm wearing a kit all the time now and uh, <laughs> on the board of directors and uh, doing all sorts with, with the likes of you. But um, yeah, no, it's uh, it's good to be back in, involved. And there's there's a whole other podcast to be uh, put together on your experiences back in judo on the yeah. coaching board, oh, yes. board, board side. Um, ben, it's been an absolute pleasure, mate. Thank you so much for coming on and kind of sharing your story. Um, all that, all that side. It's been really interesting. Um, I'm gonna cut the bit out about your knee. Like nobody wants to hear. I, do you know what? I think it's remarkable that you made an excuse to record a podcast just to hear that story again. But <laughs> thanks for humouring me. Ben, it's been an absolute pleasure, mate. All the best. I'll catch you soon. Bye, mate. Guys, I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. All the usual nonsense. Like, subscribe, blah, blah, blah. Catch you soon.